Today is Earth Day, so this week I talked to the CEO of Blue Shift Aerospace, a rocket company using biofuel and with sustainability at the core of their mission statement. Plus, it's been a busy week in space, so we'll get you all up to date with all that's happened, as well as looking ahead at some big events this week. And don't forget to give us a follow over on social media. We're at Space and Things One on Twitter, or get involved at Space and Things Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And if you enjoy the show, please do hit that share button. But right now, we hope that you will enjoy episode 34 of Space and Things Podcast. You're listening to Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 34 of our podcast. Hey, Emily, how exciting was that helicopter taking off on Mars? Go Ingenuity. Loved it. That was awesome. That was really, that was so neat to see just something flying on another world. <sighs> like, that is mind-blowing. So, yeah, that was absolutely the uh, one of the highlights of my week. I, I, when I saw that, I was like... God, that that's just, I can't even wrap my mind around. It's so awesome. Yeah, it's great to see those footage. We're, we're going to talk more about this uh, in the news later, obviously, but it, it certainly is something we've been looking forward to. And the fact it's worked, it's amazing. It absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. And while I mention the news, we've had a couple of emails. Now, I always say get in contact if you have any comments, and I encourage you to do so. Uh, we've had a couple of messages about the fact we've moved the news from the front to the back. And I just wanted to explain, because I get it. We've done 30 of these episodes now. People fear change. I get it, right? <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah. It's fine. So I understand some people were like, oh, what's going on here? But the, here's my logic behind doing this. Number one, I don't ever want to rest on our laurels here and always want to try and make the show better. And I think this actually is better because we we choose a title for the show and then often that's, that bit gets put back later in the episode. And I think if someone has found out about this podcast because of the title, they want to hear about that bit up front. So that's why we've done that. And hopefully that will plan out well. If it doesn't work, we'll switch it back. But I want to give it a few weeks of trying this out and seeing how it how it pans out. So once again, I, we always do value your feedback and, and getting in contact. Don't ever hesitate. Uh, I, I, I don't bite. Um, but... In this case, I think I think it's I think it's the right decision, but we'll see. We will see. Yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on it and see what uh, how it progresses. And Emily, I've noticed that you've got a couple of things now. The podcast comes out on Thursday, so one of them is the day of the launch. But you've got a couple of webinars or online talks, right? Yeah, I'm doing one on um, on Thursday. It's in conjunction with the National Aviation Hall of Fame people. Nice. And um, it, it's about the uh, future of uh, of uh, social media and aviation. And that's at 2 o'clock on Thursday. So uh, I'm sure we'll have some links to that if you're interested in seeing that. Uh, there's four, there'll be four of us on the panel, not just me. So um, I, I highly suggest you check it out. It should be really cool. Is that Eastern time, Emily? Sorry, just double checking. No, that that is a perfectly fine question. That is Eastern time in the United States. So yeah, that's uh, that is uh, two o'clock Eastern. And I'm also doing a uh, seminar for the uh, Royal Canadian Astronomy people, which is really cool. I never Fancy. thought I'd do anything for nice. them. I know in Canada, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, fancy. 
Yeah. But um, <laughs> that is at uh, 7.30 p.m. on Friday, and I'm going to be talking about Skylab. So, yeah, imagine that. <laughs> Never heard of it. So I'll be talking about that on Friday night. If you want to um, go and uh, check that out on Friday night, if you're not doing anything, uh, I know I'm going to be at home. We can talk about Skylab and just have a good old time. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds great. I, I look forward to that. And for those listeners who have been waiting for our big Skylab episode, well, maybe you'll get a preview of what's to come by listening to that. So do tune in to Emily uh, on Friday night. Hey, Emily, are you on your own on that one or is there a panel of people? Just me. It'll oh, be wow, just that's me amazing. and um, what, whichever guests show up. So, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to that a lot. So, this week's podcast is being released on the 22nd of April. And since 1970, April the 22nd has been known as Earth Day. Now, this is a day to demonstrate support for environmental protection and is often marked with a series of events and displays. For example, in London this week, I've seen that Yoko Ono has paid to buy some key advertising locations and put up posters simply saying, I love you, Earth. Uh, a nice, simple gesture from her. Uh, something they've been doing for years. Her and John Lennon used to always do things like that, and I love that. Um, now, you can find out more about Earth Day over on earthday.org. But to honour this day, uh, we thought we'd try and find something worthy of talking about. Now, you may remember back in episode 23, I tried to become an investigative journalist by trying to get to the bottom of some press stories, or lack of press stories, for two companies who launched rockets using biofuel. Well, in trying to get to the bottom of what was going on, I asked Seth Lockman, who is the communications director for Blue Shift Aerospace, whether they would be interested in talking to us for our Earth Day episode. And they said yes. So here's a little recap of what happened. On uh, January 31st this year, Blue Shift launched its first biofuel rocket from Maine in the northeast of the United States. Uh, the prototype rocket, which is called the, was called Stardust 1.0, reached a height of 1,219 meters and then deployed a parachute to come back down. They are currently developing a suborbital rocket called Starless Rogue and an orbital rocket called Red Dwarf. So, armed with some questions that Emily and I came up with, a couple of weeks ago I had a conversation with the CEO, no less, of the company, Sasha Derry, along with the communications director, Seth Lockman, who I mentioned earlier, to talk to us more about Blue Shift Aerospace. Welcome to Sasha Derry and Seth Lockman from Blue Shift Aerospace. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on Space and Things. I want to start right at the, do the obvious thing, start right at the beginning. Um, So how and when did Blue Shift start? And what was your mission statement when you first started? And has it changed at all? Yeah, so it it in fact started when we discovered a a certain bio-derived fuel worked uh, particularly well in a hybrid rocket engine uh, on my brother's farm in here in Maine uh, and the United States. We were doing engine tests, uh, hybrid rocket engine tests using a sort of petroleum-derived version, and we, we found out this certain substance. I saw my brother's windowsill. Uh, when we tried it out. It worked not only as good, but better than the petroleum version, which was, I was my, in the, most, the best of the world, I figured, well, it's bio-derived. I'll be happy with this. Uh, works out 90% as well. It'd be a great way to 
kind of changed the paradigm in, in space. So it started back then. So from the very early onset, uh, the sort of unsaid mission was to uh, take a more responsible uh, path forward in towards, uh, towards space launch using uh, more sustainable fuels. Uh, I was perhaps a little taken aback uh, over the years to learn that, um, that a lot of people didn't really care, at least within our industry. And uh, there was a lot of poo-pooing. So when we, were age, when we actually performed a launch in January, I was once again surprised by how many people across the world really cared that here's a small company actually doing something uh, that's uh, non-toxic, sustainable, uh, and applying it to the realm of aerospace launch. And since that launch, have you seen a big upturn in interest in the company? And has that enabled you to do other things which you weren't expecting? Oh, uh, yeah. So a lot of things happened after that launch. Uh, so Seth was on, you know, he was there uh, manning the, uh, the streaming video chat, uh, the video and uh, keeping people abreast of what was going on. We were blown, blown away to see there was like, you know, 5,000 people watching and the streaming comments as we were launching. The night that after launch, we started getting interest from people wanting to invest in our company because it was such a novel concept of a company that's actually launched a rocket with paying customer payloads using a bio-derived fuel. I think that people didn't even understand at the time that not only is our fuel bio-derived, that it's actually non-toxic. So, you know, a lot of times in the, in the world of bio-derived fuel, whether it's, you know, biodiesel, you know, even though it's bio-derived, it can be quite toxic to, um, to life. Every once in a while, if not many times, rockets end up ditching themselves in the ocean. Uh, and, you know, we, we're a coastal state, you know, like, uh, like so many uh, coastal areas, you know, there's a bit of a strong industry around um, aquaculture. And uh, for us, it's, it's important to maintain the health of uh, the marine life below. So ours is one of the few rockets, I won't say the only because I don't know all of them, that uh, when it, if it were to dive in the ocean, we couldn't recover it as we planned to, uh, would not harm the ecosystem. Mm. Anyways, what we found is we had probably once every five to eight minutes, people wanting to invest in our company uh, because they, they saw such an opportunity for a novel company to be supported doing something completely different than the, you know, the SpaceX way or using kerosene to power rockets, et cetera. And so we actually, um, we shifted our plans for investment and away from the traditional to uh, crowd equity funding where anybody could participate in investing in our company. And, and then since then, we've been invited to attend numerous conferences on uh, bio-derived fuels, uh, the future of shaping uh, transportation, of which you know you usually don't think about space as a form of transportation, but it certainly is. Mm. And we're just our cargo happens to be a lot smaller because we're doing uh, nano nano uh, payloads. But um, the space industry is probably one of the last ones that needs to be overhauled for there to be a viable, sustainable option for uh, for transport. And I think we're, we provided that opportunity. There was an article just a, a few weeks after our launch questioning whether the space industry should now consider sustainable fuels. And so that was even more amazing to think that we actually affected the dialogue within our industry that, that, that you know, we demonstrated this is possible. And now there's, there's a dialogue occurring at a global level that maybe, maybe there's something to be had here about what we choose for our fuels. 
Yeah, and that that must be really exciting to be at the front of that. Um, so so let's just go back to the beginning again. Um, so you you start off with the fuel. Then what happens? How do you? Because that was 2014, I believe. Uh, so what happens next? We started in 2014 officially as Blue Shift after the discovery in 2013, and we spent like four years kind of figuring out the optimal version of the fuel, trying to get used to how the hybrid rocket engines work. We took about four years of that. Uh, we did some engine development work then, but then it was thanks to a NASA grant, and we probably spent a year and a half realistically, including the NASA grant, honing in an engine that would work with that particular fuel in a you know in a high performance metric way and um, stably. Which stability turned out to be a real challenge. But what was sort of amazing was that then once we hammered that out, it only took us nine months to actually build the entire rocket. <laughs> Composite, composite vehicle, a basic telemetry system uh, of which we are going to improve upon yet again, and then go to launch. So you hear from other folks, and we have a gentleman on our team who's worked at a couple of um, some of the more well-known rocket uh, companies. Uh, you know, the, the time is all soaked up in the rocket engine. You know, it, people think, well, you need to spend equal amount of time all along the in the timeline. But no, really, there is so much hard science that has to be done in experimentation be done right at the engine level. And there's so much magic in, in, in tuning in tuning that engine uh, that I think is mis, misunderstood. Once we, we cleared that hurdle, it, was, it really sped things up. So with, with the new investment, uh, obviously we had the launch of, the, of your Stardust rocket, which is an incredibly cute rocket, by the way. I love it. Um, <laughs> Hence the name, right? And, and then the next one, the, the next size up is the Starless Rogue. Yes. Is the new investment allowing you to speed the process up by which we're going to be able to see that rocket in action? Yeah, we, we have a very intense time frame actually set out for us. The, the funds we get from the WeFunder campaign, um, which is we're, we're shooting to raise $1.07 million, we were looking just to develop the engine, the full-scale Marvel engine. So take the prototype engine and just scale it all the way up to what we will be the singular Marvel engine we use for our suborbital rockets and our red dwarf rocket. So it'll be the, and that's part of how we're going to save sort of a production costs. It's just, we're just going to use one engine and use it in parallel and, and uh, obviously multiple stages for our orbital vehicle. So we have a, we have a very tight timeline because we want to build it up, test it uh, and uh, complete that by the end of summer. Wow. Uh, early fall. Yeah. So it's very intense. Uh, as a result, we are hiring people. Uh, to help us out because there's no way we can do it with the with uh, just the handful of people we have before. We will in parallel be working on the fuselage se- section of Starless Rogue. Uh, we've already have composite folks that we're working with today with a timeline of we'll, we'll basically do another fundraising round uh, come September and uh, to propel us to actually get to launch of a beta version of Starless Rogue uh, off the coast of Maine in the spring of next year. And, you know, that's going to be a beta version. We'll actually literally underfuel the rocket and, and um, launch it only up about 30 to 40 kilometers before we go for our full commercial launch license with the FAA. And we hope to launch uh, Starless Rogue, the full commercialized version, summer next year, carrying about 30 kilograms of payload, uh, science experiments up to space and back down again. Fantastic. And doing that will will double the time that um, current suborbital customers go up to space and experience zero G. I should say not the customers because 
that could be, <laughs> be misinterpreted, but they're payloads. It's really colorful. It's hard to find customers that weigh only 30 Gs or 30 kilograms. But, yeah, they're small people and kids aren't allowed. So, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, because you are specializing in nano uh, nano satellites. Um, nano satellites is our ultimate market, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard you say that you want to become the Uber to, to to space, which I think is is a wonderful way of looking at that. So you you want to specialize in getting the, the smaller sat, um, satellites up to space cheaply and efficiently, and also uh, without causing so much damage to the planet, um, yes. which which is ultimately a wonderful thing. What what made you um, decide to choose nano technology to focus on? Is it because the cost of uh, uh, of the development is less or, or the, the technology required because the weight is less or did you see a gap in the market and that's why you've, you've, you've gone down this route? Yeah, it's really the, the latter. We, we, um, we knew we had the technology and we knew we could get there. Uh, and so we were going to a lot of conferences, talking with a lot of people, trying to understand the opportunities of where we could go with this. And at the time there was a really long, long queue, long backlog, uh, backlog of people that wanted to go, and launch the satellites to space. And we said, well, we can probably do that. We also heard that from all these folks that generally speaking, if you want to launch a CubeSat to space, you're having to fly in a much larger rocket. Uh, and you know, since then, a number of rocket providers have come about really only at this time, there's really only outside of SpaceX, uh, really only Rocket Lab, as you probably yeah. know, really the only other ones, at least in the US, who's capable of launching uh, CubeSats. Uh, Virgin, I think Orbit just had their very first successful mission. And there's a whole a host of other companies which, um, uh, you know, their, their payload sizes are are multiples of ours, you know, often an order of magnitude, if not two orders of magnitude larger. So, you know, there's a whole host of companies that are kind of in the bus category. If there's a freight train is like SpaceX or ULA, uh, there's a number, number of buses. So we're we're still at the nano level. We're really... We could carry one or two 6U uh, or 9U CubeSats, and that's all we carry, which is a whole lot like your experience with Uber, where it's you. You're not, you're not sharing. You're not hopping the bus. You're not hopping to the car with five other people. Nope. Yeah, that's, that's a, a, a great way to look at it. So what were the big challenges that you had in developing this rocket? Was, was there anything that you weren't expecting to, to have to overcome that you did? For us, uh, I think the, the biggest challenge is with, you know, we, we have a novel fuel. Uh, and you, starting just with that, <clears throat> compared to traditional rocket engines, everybody's, you know, not everybody, but the vast majority of people are working with RP-1. You know, it's basically refined kerosene, right? There's endless number of books and articles, uh, papers that talk about how to, how to hone in your liquid fuel rocket to work with RP-1. RP-1. That's hard enough, even when you have all of this, right? Mm. So when you work with a fuel where you're actually not sure of, you know, where you work with biodrive substances, you're actually not sure of the, you know, the carbon hydrogen chains, what those really are, actually are. It, it becomes challenging to, uh, to exactly specify how this should combust with your oxidizer. So you end up inherently relying upon uh, experimentation. And so we, over the course of, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, four years, we, we probably had well over 200 engine tests. Some of the biggest challenges were just getting the daggone thing to combust stably. We would have, um, I don't know, chugging, coughing ro rocket engines, which were fun to see, mildly scary. You eventually learn to really 
appreciate the sounds of a purring rocket engine. Uh, from my standpoint, I never, I never enjoyed like uh, uh, cars with loud mufflers, but I, la- I started, I started really understanding the sound, uh, loving the joys of uh, really loud rocket engines and when they purr. And then I finally got what everybody else was enjoying about the cars. So <laughs> about the engines purring, like, yeah, that sounds about like they're a good combustion. That's it. We hit it. <laughs> so, so we have to do the same thing all over again with uh, with the full-size Marvel engine, which is we're going to be taking it up to 24 inches. And we're not the full limits of what folks have done in the past with hybrid hybrid engines, but we know where the boundaries have been before. And we, we're just choosing not to go there because we know – even though the fuels were comp- the fuels were completely different, we know there's issues with hybrids once you get beyond a certain point. So that's fine with us. We're going to we're going to standardize on a certain uh, size engine. This engine will produce on the order of twenty thousand pounds of force. You know, ten times what we're doing today, or what we've done in the past. Uh, so it's uh, it's a great building block uh, for us to work with. And and just a side note there, this has just come to me. And it may be the dumbest question ever, uh, but. Are biofueled rockets or engines quieter than kerosene ones, or does the fuel make no difference on the sound at all? I think that has to do with the exhaust velocity of the gases coming out of the nozzle, and and you know they're, they're hitting many many times mock speeds, and so I think that's where you get the sound. Man, I would love it if that was the case, but I, I think combustion to some level level is combustion. So it's more about uh, the gases exiting. So I don't know, Seth, you had something that's more to say about that too. Oh no, I mean that's a, I, I love that question. It's a cool idea, and I love I love the concept that if that was true, but uh, you can't get everything, you know. But it would be great if it was quieter. Like, can we get a muffler yeah. on that thing? I don't know. Something. Well, look, over in communications, <laughs> you know, we're we're all about A/B tests. So maybe <laughs> we just need to, um, you know, two two rockets, one next to the other. You know, he was louder at twenty thousand pounds of thrust. Yeah. Right, right. We'll, we'll focus group it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I look I look forward to the results of that one. Um, now, obviously, you're based in Maine, which is uh, it's way at the, t- the, the top of the northeast of, uh, of the United States. Um, it's otherwise known as the hub of aerospace. I'm, I'm pretty sure at least that's, uh, that's what I that's what I <laughs> Well, that, that kind of is, is part of this question. The weather's not always great up there, right? So is there... Really? Above minus fourteen, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and of the the images of your first launch where it was within snow, which was was really quite fun to see. Do Do you think that's going to be a, a hindrance to you in the long term? Do you plan on setting up a a base with somewhere in a slightly warmer climate, or should it not matter? For us, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I, I have to I have to admit, you know, our our intention was not originally to launch in the the very absolute dead of winter uh, to the point where your laptop shut down you have to hop in the car to actually make your laptops function so you can launch the rocket uh, that was not the plan that was not the plan we were planning to launch in october it's just a little warmer in october yeah um, but, but the rocket was fine yeah the, yeah, yeah 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 the rocket it was it was a lot it was the lithium technology in the damn laptops it sucks. <laughs> um yeah, I used to have, we had the, the, I don't know if you have where you are, but these heater packs, you rub them together, you take them out, there's basically like iron in them, and you, you just, we were taping them to laptops, and, um, wow. yeah. To get to your original question, uh, 
Nominally, we do not plan to la launch um, from the coldest part of Maine uh, during the coldest part of the year. That is not that is not our plans. We will nominally be um, nominally be launching from typically between April and October of the year, which is a absolute gorgeous time to be in Maine. Now, a lot of people would argue that uh, uh, my wife included that uh, winter during Maine is the absolute most beautiful time of the year. Uh, I'm I, I like warm. So, but I, I think what, it, what, you know, that launch really spoke to the grittiness, the gritty nature of our team that they were able to get it done, get it done and get it launched. And, uh, you know, we had guys going up the launch tower uh, in, uh, in a very, very, very cold day and getting it done. And, you know, Maine provides a real opportunity. You can't get anywhere else on the Eastern seaboard. Uh, ultimately, we get to the point where we're launching not only suborbitally, but orbitally, we will be able to launch into polar orbit uh, which when there was a market study done that was uh, done just uh, two or three years ago to determine where where do CubeSats really want to go to, uh, ideally. A lot of them don't care. A lot of them just want to get up into space and it's an experiment. But what that market study revealed was about half of them, it was actually like 50.2% of them want to be into what's called a polar orbit, where you're just you're cycling from the South Pole, the North Pole, South Pole, North Pole. So here in the U.S., the only places you can really launch into polar orbit easily is Vandenberg, which happens to be a military base, very expensive. Mm -hmm. Literally, if we were launching there, we would have to pay in fees more than our whole rocket costs. Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of not uh, feasible. Um, and that's the problem with doing nano, nano launchers. You know, we're doing nano satellites in a nano, really a nano rocket. Um, the other place is, uh, you know, an equally beautiful state, but logistically very far away, Alaska. Uh, so operationally, it tends to be really expensive. We've heard customers have, have uh, significant concerns about launching from there. There are folks in the United States that are surprised that our state is connected to the rest of the other 48 states, <laughs> not only, uh, not only in, in mine, but uh, with highway systems and railways and, and even planes. So um, it's easy to access. You can get right up here on the highways. And uh, we could we could possibly be the only place on the eastern seaboard to provide polar launches, which is a fantastic opportunity. Uh, our customers don't have to go to dusty old deserts. They could come to uh, launch during the day and have lobster at night or enjoy the beautiful <laughs> Maine last landscape. You know, the traditional um, beauty that is Maine uh, during the warmer months. That leads me on to a question about budgets. Do you know exactly how much this is going to cost a client to send a CubeSat into space using a biofuel? Is the plan for it to be cheaper than the alternatives? Uh, or, or or is biofuel more expensive? I'm, I'm not sure how this works. Oh, we've, we've certainly we've interviewed uh, dozens upon dozens of potential customers to really get an understanding of what they're willing to pay, where their pain is. And what we learned is that to have a truly dedicated launcher like ourselves uh, a certain category of customers, especially the academic and civil researchers, uh, were willing to pay even potentially more just to have full control of when and where their launches were to be the primary payload customer, as opposed to being stuffed and being really a tertiary payload customer at the back of a, a large payload fairing. There are costs associated with launch um, that you you have to pay no matter if you're a SpaceX rocket or our rocket. It's like the same cost. Mm. And so the, our challenge wasn't necessarily to make it cheaper, but to provide this sort of dedicated service at the same price. Right. So think about it. Think about it. Um, you, know, you know, here in the U.S., 
you know, you can take cargo from one side of the country to the other in a, in a train and maybe pay an extremely low price. But rarely does uh, do you take a train to go see grandma um, from one side of the country and a freight train to the other. You just want to go across the town or go over, in our case, maybe a state to see grandma. Same thing is, is, is the true here is that not everybody wants to take a freight train to space. They just want a dedicated launch vehicle to get them where they want. We'll be able to provide that access to them. And uh, they get to choose when they go and where they go. And that's, that's not even really feasible with some of these smaller launch vehicles like, uh, you know, the rocket labs and the virgin orbits of the world. Um, they'll be really carrying a much larger payloads than we will. We are trying, we, our goal is to make it uh, cost appropriate but still get a dedicated service like you know you pay more for a taxi service or an uber service than you would per mile with a freight train i love that analogy it's a great way of looking at it and uh yeah customer service is essentially what you're saying we pay pay the same rate but you'll get a more dedicated service i love that that's a it's a beautiful way uh to to operate in my opinion now um I, i've had this other thought while you were talking there um you're part of the growing industry that's putting a hell of a lot of stuff up into space and uh, this episode is for Earth Day which is why I wanted to get you on because you're taking a more sustainable approach. Now in my opinion that's got to be extended to beyond uh, the, the the limits of the atmosphere to what's around the planet as well and, and are we looking at what everyone's calling space junk and being responsible. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Do, are, are you concerned Obviously, you're making such an effort to, uh, to to be sustainable. Are you concerned that you're putting more things into space as well, which could cause problems, or, um, or have you got plans for that? Yeah, that's a great question. We, we've certainly heard that numerous times. Um, I love how, though, at the same time, we, 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 we focus on, we get really worried about what's going on in space and that, yeah, we dump so much in the ocean, yeah. let alone what we dump on land. And, the, and it's like, you know, many, many orders of magnitude different than what's in space. The problem, of course, in space is that, these things are traveling many times the speed of you know uh of a bullet and so when they actually hit something else it's really problematic um so the beauty of cubesats not not all of them you you can screw this up uh, but the general beauty of this market that we're attending to is we will never put them in an orbit um where they wouldn't their orbit wouldn't degrade uh within at maximum five years and because they're inherently so small they can't carry on, on board, if at any, any propulsion or a minimal amount of propulsion to maintain orbit. You know, our first initial market will be to, to help out academic and civil researchers. But a lot of these people are just looking to do experiments and they are okay with their payload degrading mm. uh, into, and burning up into Earth's uh, atmosphere within eight to 12 months. So it's, it's uh, I come from a, a industry, the solar industry, the renewable energy industry prior to this. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges with solar panels is they last forever. <laughs> they have warranties of like 25 years. So, you know, unless somebody's expanding their system, there's no planned product obsolescence, which is a horrible concept in the first place. But with CubeSats, it's inherently like this planned product obsolescence. And then, you know, the researchers and then, of course, the commercial market, which you hope to attend to, they inherently will want to replace their technology with more modern technology. And these will not stay up up in orbit so there's a real beauty to that you compare that to starlink which is at a much higher orbit still much closer is closer than what we're used to for communication satellites uh, and providing incredible service 
But the, the particular satellites we're going to be putting up there, which are much smaller than Starlink uh, satellites, uh, they will not simply not maintain that orbit. Yeah. Let alone some of them will actually be working on, you know, I know that there's tech, there's, there's uh, researchers are looking to develop technologies to retrieve space junk and bring it back down. So you mentioned Starlink there, and we've mentioned St- SpaceX a few times, as well as Rocket Labs and, and Virgin Orbit. Uh, and there's obviously other rocket companies that are out there as well. Um, is it difficult at the moment to get staff who are qualified and really understand rockets and rocketry and the science and all that, all of those kind of things? Uh, there's obviously only a, a finite of minds which are are capable and educated enough to, to do this work. Um, and there's a lot of companies out there recruiting them. That was a challenge for us until we launched the first time and, well, the last time. So now that people kind of know that we exist, we've been receiving more resumes than we have ever received. And we're having some really qualified and interesting people reaching out to us. I think we felt that um, we had to hide this, almost had to hide the fact that we used a bio-derived fuel. Uh, I don't say we were insecure about it, but we we realized it was important to us. But we were beginning to get the feeling that nobody else really cared about it. It was just the sexiness of going to space and the fact that we're trying to do it in a way which protects, you know, at least my favorite planet of them all. <laughs> um, it's, it's, air is great, uh, mostly. <laughs> so when we actually did it, and I, I, we almost didn't sort of promote, even when we did the launch, that it was a bio-derived fuel. Uh, and then somebody said, you, should, you really need to let people know. And I said, yeah, you know, you're right. Let's, let's get the word out. Maybe people don't care. Turns out a lot of people care. Not only a lot of people in general, in the public, but a lot of people that work in the space industry. Yeah. And that was, that was a breath of fresh air. That was a real breath of fresh air. Yeah, it's great to hear that that actually happened. So obviously you're doing all right with the fundings coming in a little bit and you're finding it easier to, uh, to recruit. So what else uh, is on the horizon for Blue Shift? Are we looking at other projects beyond just biofuel rockets, uh, putting nanosatellites into orbit? Is there other things you're hoping to do? Uh, there's definitely dreams. There's a lot, The reason for our company's name it kind of speaks to one of the dreams. Uh, but, uh, you know, there, I think a lot of uh, dreamers in our industry, I'm, I, I'm one of them, it has uh, high expectations of what we want to do maybe on the category of five to 10 years from now that gets us beyond Earth's orbit or beyond Earth's gravity well. And, uh, you know, Blue Shift is uh, looking to get closer to the stars and be part of that, uh, be part of that. That is our ultimate, ultimate dream. Oh, man, I get excited when people say things like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I've got one other question, and that is your orbital rocket is going to be named Red Dwarf which obviously is the name of a star. But in the UK, yeah. it's also the name of a very successful TV show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. I haven't actually seen that show. Oh, see, it's not that, that that wasn't directly inspired. No, no, no. It was, uh, <laughs> it was directly inspired by the name of our, our, our closest star. Yeah. Besides our own. Yeah. Alpha Centauri Proxima, which is a yeah, red dwarf. Because because there yeah. will be a lot of people that will really enjoy the fact there's a rocket called Red Dwarf. <laughs> uh, it's it's quite a cult TV show. Um, well, we, you know, our our first rocket was named Red Dwarf, right? Um, and then we realized that we were going to do a smaller version, so 
So we looked down the, the star chain and the next one was called Brown Dwarf. And that just seemed wrong. <laughs> so, 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 it just seemed wrong. So, uh, so we, we looked up for alternatives to, to Brown Dwarf. And uh, believe it or not, there's this category, which is of, uh, you know, stars are basically flying, you know, really just warm stars flying through with, without any known planetary bodies orbiting around them that are called starless roads. So it isn't like we're trying to make this cool like reference to like Rogue One or Star Wars or anything like that. Um, it's actually a reference to the next category of stars down. And then, and then we realized we had to do a prototype launch. Like, dang, God, we ran out of stars. What's that? <laughs> it's the dust. Uh, so uh, one of the guys, actually it was the fiance of one of our guys here. They're like, I should do star house. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, there you go. I, I, I often think uh, that naming rockets must be one of the more fun parts of the job, in my opinion, and there's some great names out there. Anyway, thank you so much for giving up your time and, and speaking to us today. Uh, you're our first rocket company, so uh, we really appreciate you coming on and, t- and talking to our listeners. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Dave. Pleasure to be here. Well, that was a whole lot of fun talking to the both of them. You may have noticed when listening, we didn't hear much from Seth. Seth did actually speak a lot more in the interview. However, he had some crazy background noise going on, which made it quite difficult to put in the final podcast. But if you want to watch the video of, of me talking to them with all the all the audio in, just head over to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash space and things. Uh, we, we talked about a number of other things as well. Uh, it was absolutely fascinating. Emily, what did you think about that interview? I loved it. I loved hearing them. Uh, I loved hearing them talk about uh, space flight as sort of a version of transportation. You don't hear that a lot. Yeah. When people think about space flight, honestly, I feel like uh, and I'll be honest, when I think about space flight, not all the time, but a lot of the time, I feel like you think about it as sort of like the science fiction thing with rockets, you know, and mm. you don't think about it as, okay, we're putting payload or we're putting something from one place to another that you don't really think about it. You you just think about there's going to be a rocket and it's on fire and it's really cool, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. Like you don't, I mean, I'm serious. That's honestly, that's so true. Uh, maybe it's because I live close to the space coast and i've seen a lot of rocket launches you know i'll be watching a rocket launch i'm like man that's so cool i don't think about it as much as wow there's this and this payload on top of it going to there you know which is sad um so i love the fact that they talked about space in the context of transportation and being a destination because i feel like that's kind of the frame of mind our industry needs to get into i mean yeah space is cool and it is sci-fi and you get to deal with these badass fiery rockets and stuff and that is really cool but I like the fact that they think about it in that way is i i hate using this word because i feel like you kind of get into dangerous territory but i i wish we could think of space flight as something almost not i hate this word it's kind of dangerous routine yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i know what you mean Ru- Root, I mean, I don't mean routine in, okay, you know, whatever, like, you know, we're going to be flip about stuff, but I mean routine in that, you know, okay, it's a destination we can send things to and learn more about it, you know, yeah. and I, I, you know, I, I kind of look at it that way. So I, uh, I really love that they sort of put space in that context 
and I mean, I just love the approach in general that they that they have. It's kind of, you know, a very grassroots thing. And I think grassroots uh, efforts are very powerful in spaceflight. I mean, you know, we're still seeing, you know, grassroots movements from the 70s that are yielding results today, I think, you know, whereas yeah. it was so influential that people, you know, sort of soaked it up and they were like, OK, I'm going to do my own project or I'm going to do my own thing. And I really love that spirit. So I, I, I really loved listening to that interview a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. And you know what? I'm really becoming a big fan of this company. When we finished uh, the interview, I went straight to the website and purchased a T-shirt. They've got a whole range of merchandise on, on that page. And, and you can also get involved as an investor on their WeFunder page. Now, obviously, I'm not an investment expert by any means, so please do get proper financial advice or do your own research before investing. But it does appear to me that they've thought this through carefully. They've given themselves a niche part of the industry to operate in, which means that even if they do cause a green shift uh, and other companies start looking at biofuel and non-toxic fuels, they still have a reason to exist in the industry. Either way, I just really hope they're successful and that they do cause the conversations to be started within the industry. Reusable rockets are a wonderful idea, but can we make them even better for our planet than just being a cost-saving exercise? Uh, and I think that Blue Shift are proving that we can. Um, so thank you to Sasha and Seth for agreeing to talk to us and for sharing more about what you are doing over there. And so, as promised earlier, here is this week's news stories. Now, I'm going to start with the news which I'm sure men many of you already know about. On Monday the 19th of April, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory announced that the Ingenuity helicopter had successfully completed its first flight on Mars and is the first powered and controlled flight by an aircraft on another planet. It flew for nearly 40 seconds, rising to about 3 metres, hovering, turning hovering a bit more, and then landing. Uh, obviously, they're planning on doing a lot more ambitious flying with this craft, but this is a fantastic first step and obviously a huge achievement. Flying on Mars is a lot harder than on Earth because the atmosphere has just 1% of the density, which gives the blades of the rotorcraft very little to use to gain lift. Now, obviously, the lower gravity helps, uh, but they made the craft to be extremely light, with a lot of power, enough to rotate the blades 2,500 times per minute. Now, since uh, this announcement, we've seen video recorded from the Perseverance rover of the short flight, and there are some still photos taken by Ing Ingenuity as well. If you've not seen any of this yet, then please head over to our website, spaceandthingspodcast.com, because thoroughly worth seeing. This is really going to blow your mind. This is flight on another planet. It's crazy. Yeah, when you... um. <laughs> When you, you sent it to me on Monday morning, I was actually going to an appointment in the morning. And part of me, I'll be honest, part of me was afraid to even watch it be before I left home because I was like, what if they don't make it? You know, not that yeah. I expected that. I don't want to sound negative, like oh, I expected that or something. But I was just like, man, I don't want to see that if something happened, you know. And um, when you sent me the link showing it, I was like, what? Like, I, oh, my God. I actually shouted in my car. It looks like something from a science fiction book from like the 50s. Like, it looks like what? Like, I feel like we are living in the times that they told us about when I was a kid, you know, like, yeah. oh, we're going to have planes on other planets or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, OK. And you always waited for that time. But you're like, mm, maybe, you know, maybe 
at a later time, but now it's finally here. It's just incredible. I'm pretty sure you probably saw this, but um, also uh, Ingenuity carries a piece of the Wright Brothers material. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention that. It's amazing. Yeah, that made me emotional. Um, I, I'm sure a lot. I don't know if you've been there, Dave. Uh, you may have. Uh, I think you've been there. Dayton, Ohio yeah. um, is really a big hub for um, any a lot of things, you know, Wright Brothers related and um, their first practical plane is um, at the uh, the Wright Brothers uh, Museum there. It, I've been there and it, it was like the trip of a lifetime. It was incredible. It really does take it full circle. You know, you have something from the first people who did powered flight on the planet you know, <laughs> who came up with that, you know, and it's just it's just unreal to me. It's just wow. I just I'm just blown away. It's very emotional. I can't imagine what it must have been like to the people at JPL, that's for sure. It feels like we are in the future, but they've done it with a huge nod to the past. Yeah. I love the fact they've done this. I, they had enough confidence in the mission that they were willing to put a part of an important historical artifact on board a mission which to many of us felt like a sci-fi project. I love the ambition. I love the symbolism. And this really is the start. I found out this week that NASA has already approved a helicopter mission to one of Saturn's moons, Titan. It's going to be called Dragonfly and should get there around the mid-2030s. Oh, wow. I did not know this. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah I know. This whole method of exploration is it's just wonderful. And it's going to make that the solar system so much closer, feel so much closer and so much more real. That's very special because that's, we can say, you know, in our lifetime, we explored the pretty much the entire solar system or, you know, and that that's just nuts to me. Like, you know, that and it, it's sad. It's well, not sad, but you think, you know, some people don't understand there was a time where that didn't happen. Yeah. You know, where we knew nothing. <laughs> we knew nothing about, you know, the other planets other than, you know, we'd seen some of them through telescopes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. now, you know, now we've pretty much flown by or orbited almost uh, either flown by or orbited everything you know it's just it's just nuts to me i love it more <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah every time something like this happens be it the, the flyby of pluto by new horizons these, those kind of things that when we get new images of these of these planets and these places in higher definition every time it just is always exciting it's always exciting always gets me going uh, and i think we've got quite a lot of that coming up which is great yep Absolutely. Now, as we mentioned in last week's podcast, Blue Origin were planning on launching their new Shepard rocket last week, and they did. Uh, this was an astronaut rehearsal flight as they gear up to start taking passengers. Uh, they had two people working in the capsule uh, before liftoff doing pre-launch procedures that the astronauts will be doing. Uh, they got out before the launch and got back in after it landed to carry on that work. Uh, now, uh, New Shepard is a suborbital rocket, and this was its 15th flight. Uh, both the rocket and the capsule are reusable, and they landed safely on the ground after about 10 minutes after launch. They once again flew a dummy, which was instrumented, and this dummy was called the <laughs> Mannequin Skywalker, and they <laughs> announced that during the webcast, uh, they announced that the launch of this dummy, along with one of the seats, will be donated to the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, 
We love to see it. Yes, we do. Now, I absolutely love this rocket. I think it's amazing. I love what they're doing. I love the webcasts. I think they're wonderful to watch. They've got some great camera angles. So hopefully uh, we'll see some astronauts on this pretty soon. That would be pretty cool. I think I signed up, you know, to find out how to be an astronaut. I was like, yeah, I want to fly on that thing. I doubt <laughs> I doubt I will ever pass any of the tests to be an astronaut, but um, one can dream, so why not? Absolutely, so, absolutely. Maybe in a couple of years. Now, NASA had a busy day of announcement last Friday. Uh, President Biden has nominated former astronaut Pamela Melroy to be the deputy administrator. Now, uh, she flew on three missions on the space shuttle and is one of only two women to have commanded a space shuttle. So uh, this follows last month's announcement that Bill Nelson has been nominated for the role of NASA administrator. Um, and NASA also announced on Friday that they have picked SpaceX's Starship to land Artemis astronauts on the moon. Last year, NASA awarded contracts to SpaceX, Dynetics, and Blue Origin to work on their designs for uh, what they're calling the Human Landing System Program, or HLS, as you're seeing quite a lot uh, in the press. And it's been intended for two companies to continue that work. However, due to budget restraints, they've had to make the decision now to go to just one company, and Starship got the nod. Uh, so this this was all over the internet last yeah, Friday. Yeah, um, I have just one thing to say about it. Like, you know, an Apollo. Di- okay, I hate to compare SLS to Apollo because it's not going to be the same exact program. Yeah, but remember in the Apollo days where they had they decided, okay, we're we're going to have a lunar lander. And Northrop Grumman's going to do it. And they kind of went through several iterations of a lunar lander, you know, and obviously what they began, what, what we saw in the beginning was not what actually landed on the moon Mm -hmm. or um, what was actually flown. So I'm sort of wondering if that's going to happen with Starship almost, because if you look at any program, even shuttle, which did not fly to the moon, obviously, or um, in deep space. But if you even look at shuttle, they had a bunch of different designs before one was actually sort of decided upon you know yeah. what you know before they decided okay we'll have an orbiter and like the you know and boosters and a tank so there was about a million and one different proposals for it and then i think uh rockwell who eventually got the contract had a bunch of different you know versions of it i want to say yeah that's a that's a really good point this could really alter the development of the starship project as we know it I'm fairly sure that SpaceX was planning on having different types of Starship for different mission profiles, but this is one that's going to have to fit in with other Artemis program vehicles like Gateway, for example, and other objectives as well. So who knows how this will end up shaping up? Yeah, I'm wondering if it's even going to have the same name because the LEM became the LM. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. I mean, These things will like change, that. won't they? Yeah, exactly. How, how will we... How will this happen over the next few years? It'll be an interesting yeah. to see how that development happens. Exactly. I'm I'm curious to see what how the uh how it unfold on uh oh boy, I see some Russian names yep. in here. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. On uh Saturday, April 17th, two cosmonauts and an astronaut successfully landed on Earth uh, in the Soyuz MS-17 spacecraft after spending 6 months on the ISS. Uh, I'm not even going to try these guys' names, uh, these guys' last names. <laughs> Two Sergeys, uh, and Kate Rubens. I'm, I, I'm going to, the, the last one I'm going to destroy. So I'm like, I'm just going to say two gentlemen named Sergey. And I am so sorry if anybody Russian is listening to this podcast right now, because I would have destroyed your language and Kate Rubens 
touchdown in Kazakhstan after departing the station on Friday evening. Uh, the Expedition 64 crew, I can't believe they're up that high, I know. Uh, handled, handed over uh, duties to the Expedition 65 crew on Thursday, and the station is now under the command of NASA astronaut Shannon Walker. And finally, while we're talking about the ISS, if all goes well... Uh, by the time our next podcast goes live, a SpaceX Dragon capsule should have been launched from Cape Canaveral, taking four more astronauts to the station. At the time of recording on the 20th of April, the Crew 2 mission was given the go-ahead for a launch on Thursday, but since then, it's already been delayed to the Friday. We do know how hard it is to get the right conditions for scheduled launches in Florida. Now, the crew capsule is the same one that took astronauts Bob Benkin and Doug Hurley to the station for the Demo 2 mission last year. And it's also the first time that a crewed mission will be flown using a reused booster, with the first stage of the Falcon 9 rocket having had one previous launch, which was the Crew-1 flight back in November. The crew this time has four veteran astronauts, and here's my turn. Emily, I'm probably going to get this all wrong, and they're not that difficult. But anyway, uh, Shane Kimberer and Megan MacArthur from NASA, Thomas Pesquet from uh, from the European Space Agency, and Aki- <clears throat> Akihiko <laughs> Hoshide from the Japan... <clears throat> from the Japan... From JAXA. Uh, it seems like, <laughs> like yesterday we, we were all getting excited about the Demo 2 mission. But, you know, we're moving on already. And it goes to what you talked about earlier about routine. Uh, although spaceflight isn't routine, here we are and things are already moving on. You know, we're not Demo anymore. We're now in the rotation of these flights. And Crew 3, the, the crews that have been announced, they started talking about Crew 4. You know, this is going ahead. These these missions on the SpaceX uh, Falcon 9 with the Dragon capsule, this is this is happening now. This is this is our new reality. And it's our yeah. new routine for spaceflight. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me, and I, 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 I hate saying this because we kind of know how that ended up, and I don't want to jinx anything, I already feel guilty that I said anything. It sort of reminds me of I. I don't want to make parallels to the engineering because I, I trust you know that SpaceX is not being complacent or anything like that. But it sort of reminds me of the beginning of the shuttle era when they started actually flying the shuttle, like you know after the test missions, and it was like wow, another shuttle's going up soon, you know. And it it was like that. It was it was really. Yeah. I mean, granted, granted there were issues, and I I'm not making parallels in that aspect at all it's in the excitement of the fact it's happening exactly that's what yeah that, that actually oh look we've got another mission oh look we've got another mission yeah, oh look yeah, another yeah. mission and it's exciting and when especially when we went so long without any launches for yes. astronauts from from florida and it was the same with the shuttle it had been seven years since since the previous set of astronauts had flown so yeah. that excitement of oh we're back in we're back at it we're, we're having regular launches again from florida which is what we like to see yeah and it's a new vehicle which is yes. exciting too like i remember back in the 80s it was exciting because it was like wow that that was back when the shuttle was like brand new and it was ex- it was really cool you know i mean it was always cool but that yeah. was back when it was like brand new and back then that was really high tech you know yeah and now, I mean, we got the Crew Dragon. It's safer. It's got a. It's got an actual escape system, which is nice. Yeah. And um, the interiors are just nuts. I mean, it yeah. looks like it looks like two thousand and one, a space odyssey to me. It looks yeah. like the future. So just twenty years ex- late. <laughs> just yeah, right. It just took twenty extra years, yeah. right? 
but um it's oh my god it's it's just beautiful so i'm i, I love that it, it's just a brand new vehicle and it's very modern and i just love that so yeah. I'm, I'm so excited and i love their suits and i love everything about it and i i'm well on board with it all yep same here spacex dragon we're go for launch let's light this candle Now, that's it for this week. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to our patrons and for all those who support the show in some way. Don't forget to check the show notes for any videos of things we may have mentioned and for other links as well. We've got a great few shows coming up for you over the next few weeks, so please do stick around and hit those subscribe buttons. Yes, please subscribe, follow us on social media, and uh, thanks for listening to us. Uh, We hope you enjoy Earth Day 2021. And hope that you have a great week, but don't forget, in space, no one can hear you mean. Especially you, Todd. (laughs) Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.